Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. With the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby Collins, I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow. Today, we will break down qualifying for the Camping World 500 at Phoenix International Raceway. We will also talk about the Cobalt 400 from Las Vegas. Martin Cooks Jr. won, but that wasn't the story of the day. Of course, you had that big fight between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, the highly publicized skirmish, you could call it, out at Las Vegas. We'll discuss that. Uh, also, Roger Penske came out and made some interesting comments over the last week about cutting costs in the Cup Series. We'll take a look at that, plus we'll take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here on another episode of Talking Circles. But, John, let's talk about something fresh, something new. Qualifying for the Camping World 500 was completed about an hour and a half ago, and the pole sitter is no other than Joey Logano. Logano knocked off his teammate Ryan Blaney, towards the tail end of the qualifying session with about 20 seconds to go. Uh, well, I shouldn't say teammates, but they have an alliance with each other with uh, Team Penske and the Wood Brothers Racing. So Logano's on the pole, Ryan Bellini on the outside of the front row for Sunday's race at Phoenix in the Raceway. Your thoughts? Team Penske, John, they've been really, really strong all year long. Here they are again, out front, leading the field to the green flag here at Phoenix. Uh, one of the things that you heard Roger Penske say earlier this, I think he said it last week whenever they were at Vegas, is he was one of the big things he was happy about is Stuart Haas Racing joining the Ford camp because it put four more teams in, and power in numbers is what they were expecting and what they were hoping for. And they figured Team Penske would make Stuart Haas better, Stuart Haas would make Team Penske better. And if you really think about it, the Wood Brothers is Team Penske light. It's just a, a Penske team in the Wood Brothers shop in reality. Um, Joey Logano came out and put down a heck of a lap, and whenever they talked to him after the lap, he said, yeah, I, I think I hit one pretty good, but I was loose coming off. And he says three and four were just a mess. He said, I missed three, and I was loose coming off of four. So if you listen to him, and he was nine-tenths of a second, almost nine-tenths of a second, or nine-hundredths of a second faster than Blaney. I mean, you barely blink your eye, and that's how the difference is. But if Logano's lap was as bad as he says it was, he probably would have had two tenths on the field if he would have hit it perfect. Uh, I think it was good to see Dale Jr. qualifying up front because mm-hmm. he's struggling throughout the season. He's had a couple bad luck things happen. I mean, how often do you go a lap down with tire issues before you blink your eye at Atlanta? He str- I mean, he got caught up in the mess at Daytona. He struggled last week at Vegas. So he needs a good run, and he needs to start getting back from behind the eight ball and showing. And Phoenix, he's run well at recently. Best thing to Harvick is a bet at Phoenix because he's been runner-up to him a couple times, and I think, I mean, he's won once there in the past uh, couple years because of the rain short race during the chase two years ago. So right. the top three solid how looks like Chad Johnson are starting to get together. Um, and they're they're finishing well this season. I mean, they have pulled out the win, but they're finishing well. 
the middle of there. McCormick and John, we're losing there a little bit. Came out we're great. We're losing there a, a little bit, John. Uh, but, yeah, Kyle Larson, fourth. Jim McMurray, fifth. Brad Kozlowski, sixth. Chase Elliott, seventh. Eric Jones, eighth. Kyle Busch, ninth. Casey Kane, tenth. Eleventh, Kurt Busch. And that kind of round out your top 12 there in qualifying. Uh, you know, you were touching on some great points about that 88 car. You know, I think that 88 team in general at Phoenix has been very, very strong. Um, you know, remember Alex Bowman nearly won last year in November at Phoenix, sat on the pole, nearly won it. If it wasn't for a late race caution, probably would have won it. Uh, Larson, it, it looks like Larson is coming into his own, own, John. It really does. I mean, this kid is starting to figure it out. They're starting to run consistently up front. A lot more McMurray's right there with him. Kislaski is sixth, obviously. Then you got Chase Elliott and a couple of Toyotas, Eric Jones and Kyle Busch. But here's some surprises, John. I think that's something that surprised a lot of people, considering how strong the Fords and Stewart racing have been this year. Uh, Kevin Harvick back in 23rd. This is his. This is his racetrack. You know, he is a the the closest thing to a sure bet here at Phoenix International Raceway. Uh, he's he's won here a lot. He's he's runs up front all the time. Starting in 23rd, notoriously not a great qualifier. But are you a little, a little bit of alarmed here? as far as Stuart Haas racing is concerned, that Harvick is starting so deep in the field for Sunday's race? Uh, until something crazy happens, no. I mean, he is the furthest back of any car who you think might have a chance to win in qualifying at qualifying 23rd. But they have a way. And from what I understand, listening to uh, Jeff and uh, Mike Joy, during the qualifying, they say the tire doesn't drop off too much. So this could be one of those Roddy Childers pulls a fast one, short pits get to the first break and ends up taking the lead before everybody gets going or something. So, I mean, it may be one of them ones where it's a strategy thing or as Harvick has done at Phoenix. I mean, he just nails that thing whenever they go green and they start running the regular race. I mean, he always a 10th, 15th place car in practice. He hasn't ever really gone out and showed everybody what he's got. But when they go green, he keeps blowing through people and passing everybody like it's his job. And it's like Harvick's on a different planet once the green flag drops at Phoenix. Until somebody shows something any different, I won't believe it. I I still would put Harvick as your best bet to win. Um you think about some of the other people who struck. I mean, you look at Clint Boyer's 13th, just missed it. And he's been doing that pretty much all year, just missing, making the final round. He's been solid. He needs a good finish, though. He's had a couple bad, for, unfortunate things happen to him. Jimmy Johnson's still struggling. He's 14th. I mean, I'm not sure if there's a hangover or something, but they mm. just haven't hit everything together yet. Martin Truex, 16th, coming off the big win. So, I mean, there's some cars that are in the mid-pack that kind of surprise you. Denny Hamlin at 19th. Phoenix is definitely not one of his favorites. So that's about where I expect him to be, and I don't expect him being racing for the win, but you expect better from Denny Hamlin in a Joe Gibbs car. You absolutely do. I think you expect better. You know, you, I think you touched on a great point about that 48 team. It just seems like they haven't showed up yet to 2017. It just seems like they're sort of in – a, they're not in full song yet. They're sort of still getting up to speed a little bit here. And maybe it is championship hangover, or maybe it's just this new 2017 package they haven't wrapped their arms around. Hendrick Motorsports might not be as strong as they were a year ago. 
Uh, but you see Chase Elliott running really, really good. You see the 88 qualify well today. Um, the 5 has been pretty good for most of the year. And that 48 team just seems to be, you know, you would like to see them even qualify because when they qualify good because when they're at their best and they're dominating like we've seen them in the past, they absolutely go out. They, they do well in qualifying. They do well in all the practice sessions. So to see them kind of down, you sit there and go, that's not very 48-like. Now, I think tomorrow is a big deal because you only had one practice session today for the Cup Series. A lot of guys are focusing on qualifying. Tomorrow you get two practice sessions. It's going to be all race runs. You're going to see those 10-lap averages, those 20-lap averages come into play immensely. And I think that's where you're going to start to see a team like the, the four-car in Kevin Harvick, you, where you're going to see those speed, the speed really show up. He always focuses on a long run. I mean, even at Atlanta Motor Speedway, where the tire really gives up, he says, you know what, I'm not worried about this, the speed. I worry about the feel of the race car. And it always seems to pay off for him because he always runs really, really good there, always runs really good at those tracks where long runs matter. I'm going to be interested to see, though, tomorrow how that four-car responds to these long runs. Can they figure out? Same thing with the 48 and some of these teams, the 78. Some of these teams that are a little bit further back in the field than we are accustomed to seeing, I'm going to really see how they, uh, how they perform tomorrow in Saturday's practice sessions. Um, a couple qualifying sports. Nobody went home. John, because there's 30, 39 cars for 40 spots, nobody went home. Uh, not not really other, any other surprises aside from Harvick being back there. Suarez, Suarez, the rookie starts 27th in the Yaris Toyota. Uh, this is a, a race where one year ago that car finished second with Carl Edwards in a drag race with Kevin Harvick to the line. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how he performs in his, in his cup uh, first cup race at Phoenix. Uh, but any other um, notes you want to talk about as far as qualifying is concerned, John? I don't think qualifying is as big a deal as what you think. I mean, I think tomorrow is really going to say a lot because Sunday they're looking at 95 degrees for race time temperature. And that's going to make it really hot and slick. And it's a premium on handling and it's a short race. You really don't have a lot of time to make a lot of adjustments. You better get it on and you better get it done right the first time because you have a chance to take a short two-tire stop before you – um, get to the change to the stage or the segment. So there's all kind of strategy going on there. It could be four tires, could be two. It's a strategy thing going on. But as hot and slick as that track's going to be, there are going to be comers and goers if you don't hit the race setup right the first time. Because the only time you're really going to have time to mess with it is on the stages because it's a very quick, race this race can go two hours two hours 15 minutes that's how quick 312 miles is yeah you're right john and i think there's something else that i want to touch on before we we move along here is, is we talk about the four car being in the rear of the field i feel like that was a problem 10 years ago when you had cars sort of the back end of the field that didn't handle as well as those cars are as those cars in the front of the field and you get a little nervous back there when you said hey Somebody goes into turn one really hard and loses control, you're in big trouble. That doesn't seem to happen anymore with this race car. You don't really see drivers wreck a lot anymore. Very rarely do we see wrecks on a racetrack. So uh, I don't think that's as big as a concern. And I think Harvick will be right where he needs to be as far as Sunday is concerned. Okay, John, last week we ran at Las Vegas Motor Speedway for the Cobalt 400. Martin Truex Jr. led 150 of the races, 267 laps. Uh... Did a great job, and it it was 
sketchy at the end. It looked like Brad Keselowski made the right adjustments and, and Paul Wolf made the right adjustments to that two car. They passed the 78 car uh, off late in the going with about, I, I think, about 15 laps to go. They passed the 78 car for the for the lead, and it looked like uh, Keselowski was going to win. He, he led the last go. He, it looked like he was going to be in front. And then a mechanical failure kicked up, and all of a sudden, uh, Martin Sharks Jr. passed Keselowski. Keselowski slows on the racetrack. Cars are trying to avoid him since, you know, he's slow and, and uh, sort of in the way. And that's where Joe Logano and Kyle Busch come along. And we'll discuss that a little bit later. But uh, what do you think of the race from Chebec? So I thought that 78 team needed to come out and perform well. They did. They Listen, if it wasn't for mechanical failure, they lose that race and Ford wins their first three, first three races of the year. Uh, but a decent race, I think, for the Penske teams. They ran strong all day. You know, Blaney finished seventh. Kozlowski was fifth. Logano fourth. Kozlowski probably would have won. Chase Selly was up front all day. Kyle Larson, we've talked about him at length. Uh, so, you know, do you think this is something we're going to see on a mile and a half for 2017 consistently? Same players up front all year long. What do you think about the, the race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway? I think we're going to have the same players up front all year long because there's only three, four overall group teams that have a chance at winning this thing. I mean, you look, the Toyotas are basically one team altogether. Um, Stuart Haas and Penske, both of those teams have good shots no matter who the driver is. And you have Joe Gibbs. I mean, we've already talked about Toyos. You have Hendrick Motorsports could be right up there. And until Ganassi Racing shows me a little bit more, they could be right up in there, but they're not the ones you expect to win from week to week. Uh, the mile and a half, the cream always rises to the top. I mean, it's the cookie cutters. Everybody knows the setups for them. And you're right. If Brad Keselowski doesn't have that brake issue with two laps to go, he's cruising to victory lane instead of Martin Truex Jr. I think one of the biggest things that came out of Vegas was, wow, I didn't even realize that Martin Truex Jr. won because by, before he got to victory lane, everybody's focused on what's happening on pit road. The thing that yeah. I mean that hit me the most, and if it wouldn't have been for Kyle Busch and Joey Logano having the fisticuffs on pit road, this probably would have been the big news of the week was Kevin Harvick, after his car hit the wall with a blown tire, was complaining about how long it took the safety crews mm. to get to him. And you have to stay with your car and all that stuff, and he's just sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. And he went off saying about the lack of, I mean, the length of time it took. They want to make sure what if it was a major emergency. Nobody knows. I mean, he can get the window net down to say he can get out of the car, but who knows? He might have, when you got a concussion or something like that, you never know. So you want to make sure you get the safety crew out there as fast as you can. And it just seemed like it took forever. So if, if it wouldn't have been for the fight, that little quote from Harvick probably would have been the big news of the week. You're right, John, and that's something that I think a lot of people missed on, for sure. And it's concerning from this standpoint. And here's my biggest knock on these racetracks, where, you know, they these racetracks aren't small companies anymore. These racetracks that we run at in the Cup Series aren't these, you know, independently owned racetracks where the guy might not have a lot of money to fix up walls or get the best of the. That's not the case anymore. We in NASCAR now have the best of the best. We have. Basically, two companies that run racetracks, ISC and SMI. Last week was an SMI race. 
and Harvick's complaining about how long it takes for the for the medical crew to get to his race car. That's a little concerning, especially because you just added another race to Las Vegas on a schedule in 2018. So now you sit there and go, are they really ready for it? There was also some parts of racetracks I, I noticed at Las Vegas Motor Speedway that didn't have safer barrier. That is inexcusable, inexcusable 16 years after the death of Dale Earnhardt. Inexcusable. And this is something NASCAR tries to pride themselves on. Listen, I, I understand that, um, you know, somebody's maybe Dover, a track, you know, Dover, which is sort of independently owned right now, although they're a corporation, but they only have one cup track in cup. I can understand them missing safer barriers, but for SMI, which is a multi, multi million dollar company, it's inexcusable, especially when you granted them a second date on the NASCAR Cup schedule. Um, well, let's talk well, about well, the fights. Go ahead, John. Well, before we get to Go that, ahead. when are you talking about the Speedway Motorsports part and the safer barriers? And when you look at the gate, uh, race day operations, um, I've been to Kansas Speedway. It's a different operation. It's run by International Speedway Corporation. Kansas Speedway on a race weekend has 394 employees. Full-time employees, whenever the circus is not in town, 16. There are 16 people who work for International Speedway Corporation's Kansas Speedway as full-time employees. Now, Bruton and SMI probably have more people working out at Las Vegas because they have more things to do. They have the ride-along programs. They have um, more weekends. They have the uh, drag racing out there as well. They have IndyCar racing. But the safer barriers, I don't blame SMI. I blame NASCAR. NASCAR is a sanctioning Mm -hmm. body. NASCAR should say, if you do not have safer barriers around the entire track, with the exception of Eldora, because it's dirt and they're not going fast enough where the safer barrier is going to, because most of the time, if they hit a wall there, the fastest speed they're doing at Eldora is 105. And they have to hit it perfect. So, that's the only one I could see where you don't have the excuse. But if NASCAR doesn't put out the mandate saying there will be safer barriers around the track, completely inside, outside. If you're a track operator, you're not spending the money unless you have to. You're going right. with what NASCAR says is legit. And that's mm-hmm. the big problem I see there. I think that there's God. a lot of things that could be better, but I blame NASCAR for that because they're the sanctioning body. They say yes or no to whether the track exists, whether the track gets a date. If the track does, I mean, you look at the NFL, if the field is not up to safety standards, they move the game. You're right. And and that's something I think uh, with the business aspect of the sport that people need to understand is is that it's a business more than anything else. Uh, also, they, they announced this year a traveling medical team where – Steve O'Donnell, the executive vice president of NASCAR, said, and I quote, this will enhance that via on-track response. This is a perfect partner in terms of enhancing what we already do. We are always looking to upgrade what we do. Well, obviously, to get nitpicky there, at one racetrack at Las Vegas, but if this is something that keeps up, you got to wonder if this is something that was a good thing as far as a traveling medical team and how NASCAR sort of operates that and maybe how they can look 
at doing that. So it, you're right, John. At the end of the day, it is NASCAR's responsibility to get that right. Uh, Harvick even said, I, you know, we, we established a traveling medical team this year. Uh, I thought we figured that out. So very interesting to keep uh, in mind here as, as weeks go forward. But let's talk about it, John. You know, it's been the talk of NASCAR here for the last five, six days since the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. The brawl, the skirmish, the fight, whatever you want to call it, between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. Like I said earlier, they went to to avoid a slow Brad Keselowski on the racetrack. Uh, Kyle Busch was high, Logano was low. They made contact, avoiding Keselowski. Uh, Busch made contact into Logano. Then Logano went on the bottom of the racetrack, slid up into Kyle Busch, took Kyle Busch, hit him in the left rear, took Kyle Busch, and spun him into the infield grass. Uh, Kyle wasn't very happy about that. Logano, I guess, was sort of surprised by, by Bush's anger at first. Bush walked up to him and threw a punch at Joe Logano, got him in the face, then kind of all hell broke loose. Uh, Bush was tackled to the ground. Uh, his team, uh, Logano's team was all around him, and NASCAR officials then broke it up. But uh, it got a lot of attention. It was craziness. It was fun to see emotion, that's for sure. Uh, Kyle Busch went on the spin. He went from fourth to twenty-second on that spin. That's what had so many points that cost him. But what were your thoughts on the fight between uh, Joe Logano and Kyle Busch? Uh, did you think sort of boys have at it is back, John? Is that what NASCAR kind of spoke here with with what's going on here in the last week? No matter what, I'm always going to say I hate the idea of anybody having a chance to fight. I don't think there's any place for it in sports. I think we're trying to get a younger generation where we want to get kids to watch this thing. Um, no matter what sport it is, if it's a pitcher getting somebody charging the mound in baseball, if it's a hockey fight, if it's two NFL players taking their helmets off and going at it, a fight is assault. I don't care what it is. There's no need for it. It has no place in any sport. Now, do I like the emotion of Kyle Busch coming over there? If he pushes Joey Logano and starts screaming and they push back and forth, that's fine. I think Kyle Busch was wrong for trying to sucker punch him because Logano did not know it was coming. But where I have the biggest fault is Joey Logano's crew. Kyle tried to go after Joey one-on-one. Fine. And you're a crew guy. You're supposed to stick up for your guy. You hold Kyle off. You hold him down. There was a guy standing beside Joey Logano whenever you watch the footage again, one of Logano's pit crew. He walks away, turns around, and walks back and throws a kick into Bush. That, my friends, is just dirty pull. There is no place in sports for that. I can see Joey Logano's, one of his guys, bear-hugging Bush and hauling him down to the ground and keeping him away to protect Joey. That's great. I could see it could have been really bad if Bush's guys would have even come down. I think Bush's team should have said, hey, our guy's really ticked off. We need to go down and make sure we kind of protect him as well. I think there's no place in the sport for this. I don't like the fact that I can live with Kyle Bush and Joey Logano not getting fined because in reality it was a pretend punch because – Bush never got him. I think the crew guys who got involved, sort of like the old um, 
hockey thing. If you have two hockey players fighting, they let them do that. They get their five-minute penalty, but the first guy in, outside of the two guys fighting, they get a game misconduct. I think that there should be members of Logano's crew that should be suspended. And I think NASCAR took the easy way out this time. We'll see what happens. I think it may be one of the, if you look, uh, it was funny. I was watching Tom Jensen sing this week with all the things that was wrong with Days of Thunder. But if it, if it goes back to the old Bill Jr. way of doing things, they gave him the stern talking to today and saying, if you guys even get near each other, we're going to park you, we're going to take your car apart, and then we're going to see how quick you can put it back together. Then if you pass inspection, we'll let you on the track. <laughs> well, it sort of, and it goes back to when Logano had an issue with, with Matt Kenseth a couple of years ago and NASCAR having that meeting where, you know, I think a lot of people were sort of surprised by Kenseth's reaction to Logano because it was a couple of weeks later and everybody thought, well, they worked it out because drivers work it out and drivers talk. And all of a sudden, Kenseth went and did a a completely uh, shocking thing and a, and a thing that I think a lot of people really had lost a lot of respect for him in where he went out and took out Joey Logano. And I think that's where NASCAR sort of looks at it and says, and Steve O'Donnell, I think, has been pretty clear about this, where he's come out and he said, listen, there's a line. Um, and they don't want these drivers and these teams to take it out on the racetrack, whether it's for safety reasons, whether it's for they don't want to mess up the competition of the sport. They don't want it to take it out uh, on a the racetrack. They'd rather do it off the racetrack where, you know, there's a fight. Um, and I do agree with you to an extent as far as, you know, we can't have Jimmy Spencer punching Kurt Busch every week, you know, where he, he really uh, did a lot of damage to Kurt Busch. But, you know, I think the emotion is a good thing, and, and it's something that this sport's been lacking. And I always say the problem with NASCAR now, part of the problem with NASCAR is now, as far as rivalries go, is everybody's sort of connected now, where, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you know, there was different Ford teams in, in the Ford camp. Now they're virtually all the same because they share the engines. Uh, you know, and Toyota's sort of all in one team. So you don't really have too many rivalries. And I think they're all sort of friendly guys with one another. And not that the guys back in the day hated each other, but they wanted to beat each other for, you know, their own team. Because teams were, there was, you know, 30 different teams back 20 years ago. Now there's maybe seven, and again, they're all, and those seven, ten teams are tied in through technology or, or engines and stuff like that, so I think that as far as rivalries go in pure emotion, you don't see that often anymore, and there's numerous reasons for that, um, but it was nice to see somebody actually, and, and I always say this about Kabush, and as much as everybody kills him, calls him a crybaby and stuff. And there, there are some things where Cobbush goes out and you go, come on, be, get real. But he cares. And he cares deeply about his race team. He cares deeply about winning. He wants to win a, a foot race back to the truck. He wants to win that. And you got to respect the guy's competitiveness. Um, but, again, I think at the end of the day, and, and here's my thing. I, I look at it a little differently. If I'm a crew guy and I see my guy getting, you know, Beat up. I'm going to go defend my guy. I'm going to say, you know what? Every, NASCAR's made this a team sport. They've come out numerous times and said, NASCAR's a team sport, guys. 
but yet there's still people saying, well, they're not really a team sport because you want the drivers to handle it mano a mano. Is it a team sport or is it not a team sport? You've got to kind of make the line clear. And I think that NASCAR sort of made the line clear saying it's a team sport. Um, I understand where everybody's coming from with the third man in them, stuff like that. But, again, if my guy is getting beaten up, I'm going to jump in and throw that guy off of him and do everything I can to keep my prize. It's like, it's like a, a goal scorer or a, a big-time hitter, my prize mm-hmm. possession, my driver – healthy. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to do that. Well, when when I'm talking to third man in, I'm if the third man ends to break it up, I'm fine. If the third man ends kicking somebody while they're down or in the case of this, it was four on one because there were four guys on Kyle Bush and Logano standing behind the wall far away from it. And while they pushed Joey away, his boys kept wailing on Kyle because Kyle did not have a bloody head whenever he swung at Joey. Joey never threw a, never threw a punch. And Bush never connected with a punch. But Bush walks away with a bloody head. And then there's the guy who's standing beside Logano, looks at Joey, looks at Kyle, and you could see him throw a kick at him while he's down on the ground. There's no place for that. I mean, third man in, if they're going to break up the fight and protect each other, uh, I'm all good with that. But the third man in who throws a punch or th- throws a kick, you're to me, that's 10 races. You should be long gone for that because it shows how much of a cheap shot artist you are. The one thing yeah, that well, I, I, can... I took out of this and I still love is – There are the two perspectives. Kyle Busch actually asked for the technical part of this from Joey Logano during the week. He asked for throttle data to see where Joey hit the gas, where Joey hit the brake, whatever. He wanted to understand technically and have it be proven to him that it was an accident, not something he did on purpose. And he probably didn't get all he wanted, And I think he's ticked off that the crew guys didn't get anything because whenever they came out of the meeting today, Kyle Busch was Marshawn Lynch. Everything's great. (laughs) Looking forward to getting back to the racetrack and into my race car. And then the next question, everything's great. Looking forward to getting back to the racetrack and into my race car. Kyle Busch was Marshawn Lynch today, and it was funny as hell. And, John, let's talk about that quick. And that's something that – now, obviously, it's a real quick thing, but Kyle got a lot of flack, flack for that from the media here, uh, from the media at Phoenix. And I kind of look at it and, and say that's absurd, in my opinion. And here's my thoughts. You know, I, I, if, I'm a, if I'm a reporter or not, I'm a media member, I'm going to cover the race. Sure, the storyline is nice. Sure, it's a big storyline. But Kyle Bush is not obligated to say anything that's going to get him in trouble. It's not obligated to – he's not obligated to say anything that's going to – Ignite another fuse under Logano. To me, he did everything he had to do. Hey, I'm here to race. I'm here to go out. I'm here to win Phoenix. That's basically what he said, to, at least to me. That's basically what he said. You guys can worry about that. I'm focused on Phoenix. I love that mentality. That's a guy who is here and ready to race and here for business. And that's what you're supposed to do as a race car driver. Forget about last week. Put it on the back burner and go out and race. How is that wrong, John? Well, because 
it, it in reality it wasn't. I think it was fine. I think they were looking at Kyle Bush who has a tendency if he's not happy with the way things are, we'll just blow off the media or be really snarky about it. I think he played he played a smart ass here. He played Marshawn Lynch where his big quote that whole week, I'm here so I don't get fined. Marshawn, what's your mother's name? I'm here so I don't get fined. Kyle did that one. He played that game with the media today. He doesn't care what the media thinks. He wants to get this over with. He wants to get it behind him. He just came out of a meeting with Steve O'Donnell, probably Mike Helton, probably Brian France, saying, okay, going over, the you two meatheads better not do this intentionally. You better not impact a race, or we're going to park you, or this is going to happen. So he's probably coming out of that meeting. He's not the happiest person in the world, first of all, that he got wrecked last week because it still moved him from 4th to 22nd. He's not happy that he has to be at the track a half hour early or an hour early to sit in the big, sit in the NASCAR hauler and have a one-sided conversation and he doesn't get to say anything. I think he's ticked off coming out of that trailer. And the media keeps coming up and they're asking him everything, everything, trying to brew something, trying to get something sparked up. And Kyle says, everything's great. Looking forward to getting back in the racetrack and get into my race car. I mean, he played the game with him. He wasn't happy. He didn't want to say, I think NASCAR screwed the pooch by not going after Logano's team. They want it to be, NASCAR wants to be put behind. If he comes out of that trailer and says, I think Logano is a total dirt bag and I think he wrecked me intentionally and watch out whenever he gets near me, what's happening? He's getting parked. Mm-hmm. So he did what he could and said what he said. So NASCAR media is not crushing him for ignoring them. He said something. Make up your mind. Either let him say something and be happy about it or let him walk away and stew and be ticked off and give him that ability. You can't have it both ways, media. And I guess the way I look at it is, and maybe, and I wasn't there, so I don't know if he did this throughout the whole thing, but the questions he did that to were all about the fight. If they asked, say, Kyle, you know, you're looking forward to Phoenix this week. Uh, Toyotas have been struggling a little bit this year. Are you looking forward to Toyota's first, trying to get Toyota's first win? He probably would have answered that question because it was focusing on racing. Every, and right, I understand where the media is coming from. They want to focus on the fight, and that's fine. Kyle did not feel like talking about it. I don't understand the issue. He's there to, for a job. He's there to perform. And if he didn't want to answer the questions, that's fine. I just don't know why these people feel he's obligated to talk about it a week after it happened. I, I'm sorry. I just, just just so you have something to write about, I just think that's totally wrong. I think part of it, Kyle. Eight zero. If you want to join the conversation, Kyle was here, tweaking him a little circles. bit. Kyle was taking him a little bit, Clayton, by um, whenever he talked to Jamie Little after qualifying. Uh, He wound up talking about the car and how the Toyota struggled a little bit today. But he made sure that he got there that everything's great, happy to be in a race car and at the racetrack. He he did that again in the post-qualifying interview where Jamie asked him, well, Kyle, you, you qualified ninth, what do you think? It had nothing to do with the fight on Saturday, last Sunday, but he made sure he got that line in in the interview. So he he's partially being intentionally snarky. 
which is fine and dandy for him. He's allowed to. Yeah, I totally agree. Why? If you guys, we always complain about these drivers being vanilla, not having personalities, stuff like that. If he gives you a little bit of a personality and a little fun with it, who cares? That's the way I look at it. Now it's seven eight nine eight two eight zero here to join the conversation on Talking in Circles. John, let's look at the points a little bit here. I know we're only three races in, and we're probably going to make a lot about it because a lot's going to change here. Um, but it's very the points are very interesting to me because I want to get your take on this. You're a smart guy. You've been around the sport a long time. You've known you've seen a lot of different points of changes here in NASCAR, but I'm very curious on how these stages point the points through these stages will play out. You know, look at a guy like and I don't mean to point at him because he's had a because he's the most popular driver in the sport. But right now Dale Earnhardt Jr. is twenty seventh in the standings and he is eighty six out of the lead. And remember that points leader at the end of the, at the end of the regular season gets fifteen extra playoff points to move on throughout the playoffs until they get to Homestead. That's a big advantage for a champ, for a guy, for the driver who wins the regular season championship. That is a huge, huge advantage. I guess my question to you is, John, and I don't think it's, I think it's too early to look at this now, but when can we look at it and, and when can, how many points can they fall back to say, hey, you know what? Dylan Hart is not going to win a regular season this year. He's going to have to win it through winning a race. You know, he's not going to get those 15 extra points. Now he's going to have to really, really step up his game in the chase. Um, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I think those 15 points are going to be such a, an advantage. And if Dale Jr. could get those, it would go a long way to winning his first championship. But right now, through three races, he's 86 points out. And he needs to have, to me, he needs to have a couple of five or six consecutive weeks of real consistent top 10, top 15 runs to improve his points position. If he doesn't, he's in big trouble as far as the championship goes. What are your thoughts on that? I think uh, you're partially right. I think if he finishes top 10, top 15 overall, that's not bad. He wins a couple stages, that'll help him out. I mean, let's look at Harvick. His best finish this year is ninth. He has a 22nd, and he's a 38th or 39th, whichever he was. I think he was 38th at Vegas. And he was leading going into Vegas with 90 points. He finished 38th. He has 91 points now. He's 40, 41 behind the leader, and that's a one-race swing from going leading the rate, leading the point standings, to being 41 out. So mm-hmm. it's easy to make him up. I mean, because Harvick had the lead, and his best finish was ninth because he won three stages. You look at Martin Truex Jr. He had issues at Daytona. He's had issues throughout the season. He's up there in fourth points, fourth fourth place now by winning the race, winning all three, I mean, winning both stages. So he pulled the sweep off in Vegas. He got 60 points out of it. And he's at 127 points. He's five back. But if you look at it, he was 30 behind Harvick going into the week before. So there's so much fluidity going in this thing. Somebody has a couple hot weeks. They can be back up there, but you have a couple crap weeks. You're back in the toilet. I mean, how bad is it where Jimmy Johnson is 18th in points? Kyle Busch is 19th. Matt DiBenedetto, Cole Witt, Michael McDowell, 
are all ahead of Dale Jr. in points. Yeah. It's and true. Landon Castle. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And, and the plate race helps that for sure. But, you know, look at – if you look at 16 to 27, that's Paul Menard to Dale Earnhardt Jr., that's the sixth uh, difference between – 16th and 27th. So that can change easily in one, one week. And, you know, Junior goes out and runs good this weekend, has a great run, and gains 16 points on the rest of the field. He could be 16th in points. And I'm sitting there going, he might have a shot. But, to, again, my my point as far as the championship is concerned, I think it is a – I'm going to be really interested to see when we get going and we keep on going through this season how this how these drivers – and we sit there and when is the point – where we're going to sit there and go, they have no shot at the regular season. Those 15 points are going to go to somebody else. And they're really going to have to perform in the chase. One of these guys going to start not tanking the regular season, but testing for the, for, the, for the playoffs. Because if you're Dale Earnhardt Jr. and you don't have a chance at the regular season, why bother? At the regular season championship, why bother? You're going to have to be great in that chase to win the championship. So test, test, and test, like we've seen with the old format. And those drivers who up in the front are competing, trying to get the first two or three spots there in the points to get some kind of playoff points, aren't going to be testing. They're going to be running hard for the regular season. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out, goes on. And as we get to Phoenix and California and Martinsville, and these points start to really shape up and we really start to see who's having a really good year and who's not, I think it's going to be a very interesting thing to keep an eye on. And, and something I think I'm sort of looking out for here, that 88 car is interesting because he's 27th in points. Uh, I think another driver that's interesting is Kyle Busch. Austin Dillon, 25th in points right now, not having a great uh, year points-wise. Even Jimmy Johnson, that 48 team, they want to win eight. I think the, the regular season championship would go a long way. Uh, so they got to get on their game. We talked about them earlier in the in the show about how this early part of the season they have not showed up and been that 48-team that we've seen in years past. They're going to have to figure that out pretty soon if they want to win the regular season championship. I think the regular season stuff, you keep looking at it. and I mean, it's fluctuated from week to week. I think the people you need to watch out for when it comes to the end of Richmond and who's going to get the regular season points, champ, I mean, points leading bonus, the way they're running right now, you need to think, Brad Sussie, think Joey Logano. You need to think Harvick because him winning stages and everything. He mm-hmm. runs up front. Harvick runs up front. Whether he has a bad day or not, he still runs up front long enough that at the time he's going to end up in the points where he gets extras to move toward the playoffs. So far, Truex is the only Toyota that's shown anything. Now, I know the Gibbs camp together, but so far, the only Toyota that's shown anything is Truex. The funny part is the best-looking Hendrick drivers far this year, believe it or not, it's been Casey Kane. Yeah. Kelly, it's been very respectable, but Casey Kane didn't lead a lap all last year, and he's way up ahead of Jimmy Johnson and Junior in points. He's been really what he's doing really, really good this year compared to what it's been. I mean, basically, if he doesn't fall down getting out of bed anymore, it looks better than last year. But he is run much better this year. And there's something interesting to keep an eye on in Hendrick Motorsports as well, and we'll see if it takes a turn a little bit this week. Um, 
the 48 and the 88 shop has been a little bit behind the 24 and 5 shop. And, and for, I mean, goodness gracious, that 48 shop and that 24 shop, when they were together, were always the premier shop, and the 5 and the 25 shop always seemed to be a step behind. Is that sort of changing in Hendrick Motorsports, and now you see the 24 and the 5 shop sort of going ahead of the 48 shop and the 88 shop? Because remember, Hendrick does their 2-2 two and two with, the how, with how they run their teams. Something to keep an eye on if you're an HMS fan. But John, I think one of the things when you look at this, um, when you're talking the five and the twenty-five shop, or five and the twenty, or five and twenty-four shop, the five was out of the chase last year. That shop could start working on the 2017, um, putting the bodies together and everything, and getting an idea of where they are. They could run that car through the simulators and everything, and get a head start while the other three were trying to run for a championship. That's a good point. It's a very good point, and you can put your money and resources towards that. Uh, again, because there's no really reward for 17th in the standings if you're Casey Kane. That's that's a very solid point, John. And obviously they um, couldn't test for 2017 because we have a different rule package, but definitely put put it in the simulation and start focusing your priorities in 2017. That's a very good point, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Jim Utter from Motorsport.com had a very, very interesting article uh, pertaining about talking about to Roger Penske last weekend at the IndyCar race in St. Petersburg, Florida. Now, Roger Penske obviously owns Team Penske two-car operation, and they also have a, 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 a an affiliation with Wood Brothers Racing in a 21 car. And a couple of interesting comments I want to touch on here, John. First, Penske said, quote, I think the next big step we've got to make is cost reduction within NASCAR. People have to give up things that maybe we think we've got a competitive advantage, we have to give up some of that stuff to get there. That's uh, that's what Penske told a group of reporters last weekend, like I said, at St. Petersburg, Florida. That's always the case. Something, someone thinks they've got an edge, and they don't want to give it up. Um, obviously, I think what Roger's sort of talking about there, John, and, my, and we can dive into this, but I think part of it is, too, you know, there's a lot to it. Let's look at, at, in my opinion, engines, for example. You know, that is where Ford has a big advantage with with Doug Yates, who's a brilliant engine builder. They got one of the premier engine builders in all of NASCAR. If NASCAR comes out with sort of a engine that the whole sport could use, that's something that Ford loses an advantage on, but it would help give the team owners a little bit more money in their pockets. Um, and and to me, that would help Dodge coming into the sport because now you look at where Dodge is. Everybody's saying Dodge is ready and willing to come. They just got to find an engine supplier. They don't know where that's coming from. Um, what are your thoughts on that comment from Roger Penske? Do you think there's other things to look at as far as uh, competitive advantage? Because I think the engines are something, you know, you look at even Arca. Um, they have a great engine now. Uh the Lemoore engine that a lot of ARCA teams use that's pretty competitive. What are your th- and, and it helps cut costs in that series immensely. What are your thoughts on that uh, going forward in NASCAR? It ha- doesn't have to do with the engines. I think the engines are always going to be somebody's going to try to out find find more ha- horsepower than everybody else. They're not going to go to a kit car engine or like an IROC car where everybody has the same engine and they put their own body styles on it. I think what Roger's talking about is the seven post shakers, the tunnel time, 
the um, extra simulation, the different things like that where they feel that there's their competitive advantage, that they went on the seven post shaker and they did X, Y, and Z, where Penty and all of them had the advantage doing that. And the little teams like the front row motorsports and the BK racing don't have the assets that a Roger Penske does. I think that's the competitive advantage he's talking about. I think he's also smart enough to realize that that competitive advantage costs a lot of money. And he realizes that the $30 million worth of sponsorship to win $10 million is not a good business model. And it's coming to a screeching halt. And you've already seen blowback starting from the TV contracts. You see attendance down at races. You see TV ratings down. Sooner or later, the cash flow at NASCAR is going to start slowing down. And you get good teams like Matt Kens, who in the middle of the season is still trying to get sponsorship. They picked up Tide. They picked up Peak. They still have some empty races. Dale Jr. has an empty race. Clint Boyer has a bunch of empty races. Um, you see that where good teams are struggling to inventory. And that's one of the big problems. They're trying to get $30 million a car, and they're only coming back. If you win the championship, you might get 10. If you finish 25th, you might get four. So you're spending $30 million to win four. So there's a big economic problem there. And Roger Penske is one of the smartest, most humble, most successful guy in any racing garage. There would not be IndyCar without Roger Penske. NASCAR would not be the same without Roger Penske. He started off as a car salesman, and now he's a billionaire. I think if he's saying that NASCAR teams need to pay attention to cost reduction, people are going to pay attention because Roger Penske is a self-made billionaire. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think all ultimately what it comes down to is stubbornness. And I think these teams need to maybe look at it as far as best interest of the sport. Listen, yeah, that's going to stink giving that up. That's going to stink that you spent all that money on it. But eventually, in the long run of the sport, it's going to really help NASCAR. And if you want NASCAR to be successful 15 years down the road, that's something you're going to have to give up a little bit. I think he's basically calling out the owners and saying, listen, we need to be a little bit more open-minded about what we're going to give up. Talk about cost reduction because it is outrageously, outrageously priced to be an owner in NASCAR now and sort of give some stuff back. I'll be very interested to see where the engines go, John, because if, and, and that's something I know, uh, and I agree with you, maybe the shaker rigs, the shaker posts, wind tunnel time, all that kind of stuff is something he might be referring to, absolutely. But I think the engines are a big thing as well where look at Dodge. Again, I saw, talked about it earlier. They're not coming in there. Was talk they're coming into NASCAR. I heard Dodge and Nissan are looking at coming into this sport, but they're still sitting there going, "Where are we going to get our engines to be competitive? There's no, there's really nowhere we can go to get really competitive engines to go out and win races. Where are we going to go? You know, it's not like it was 15 years ago where you could pull a guy off and say, "Hey, here you go." You know, now we can go. These you're going against big time companies and Hendrick and Childress and Rashi Yates building engines. 
And if NASCAR can sort of get their own company behind that in the next 15, 10, 15 years, that might go a long way with bringing owners, manufacturers, whatever you can think of to the sport of NASCAR. I think that's something to keep an eye on as well, John. Well, here's the thing when you said about the good of the sport. Yeah, there's the individual teams who build their own engines, like you said, the Childress, the Hendricks, the Roush Yates. Toyota, TRD engines build their own. The successful Toyota teams, Joe Gibbs closed his own end shop, which was really, really good. Got the full force and engineering power of Toyota behind building these engines. If Dodge and Nissan are serious about getting into the sport, and they don't want to do it on the cheap, they'll take the road that Toyota did. They'll design it and build it themselves. The reason Ford doesn't change because Doug Yates and his family, Robert Yates, has been an unbelievable engine builder, and Doug Yates has put together a heck of a great team where they build the Ford engines, and everybody's happy with them. Why change something that isn't broke? Ford puts a bunch of money and a bunch of engineering into it, but it's not like Ford's sitting there in Dearborn saying, okay, we're going to design the new engine for NASCAR, and we're going to build it right here, like Toyota is. Same thing with Chevy. You've got Hendrick, you've got Childress, who've been engine builders for years. So it makes it the way they do it, and it's so much easier that way. Yeah, and I think these teams might have to look at that as a potential option, but money off these engines from these smaller teams buying buying and leasing engines from them. So that's one aspect that they might have to look at and say, well, we're going to lose all that income if you know NASCAR sort of creates an engine that is cheaper. Uh, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation here on Talking in Circles tonight. Something else Roger talked about I thought was very interesting in that article, John, was about same-day qualifying. We've seen some tracks, Pocono, Martinsville's going to do it, I think, in October. Uh, as far as qualifying on the same day as the Cup race, Roger Pesky said, quote, we need to have that show-and-tell, like garage tours. There's no question. If we're going to have a two-day show, we need to qualify on Saturday, I think. I'll tell you one thing, if they start hurting our commercial value with the schedule, then I'm going to start putting my hand up, end quote. Uh, again, that was JimMutterMotorsport.com who had that report. I thought it was very interesting. And as far as the first part of it where they need to have that show and tell, you know, how many times do we go to a racetrack and we see these drivers at sponsorships appearance the Monday mor- or the Sunday morning of a race, uh, signing autographs the Sunday morning of a race? If they're out qualifying and not doing that stuff, that, you know, hurt the business aspect of it where, you know, let's say, um, you know, Sevna brings in, you know, uh, 2,000 employees to the race at Michigan. Just this, this is just for fun. Um, and they want to meet Jim McMurray. Well, Jim McMurray will come up there and meet him Sunday before the race shake hands. He won't be able to do that with same-day qualifying. That's an aspect, John, I didn't even think about as far as ownerships are, ownership and sponsorship is concerned and Roger Penske brought it to light. Do you think he has uh, a legit argument there? Without a doubt. Roger Penske is the smartest guy in the garage. He knows any chance there could be a dollar that is wasted or a problem that could be on the horizon. I work for the Army as my full-time job. The Army used to sponsor the 39 car line. Whenever 
Newman won the race in New Hampshire that day, driving for Stuart Haas Racing. They invited our general to come up to New Hampshire to take part in a center of influence event, which is where we brought teachers, we brought um, community leaders from different communities across New England for the recruiters to bring them to the race, but also have them meet the general, have them meet some of the people who do science, technology, engineering, and math. And also meet Ryan Newman before the race. It was a full hour that they were sitting there with Newman. The whole hospitality was about two hours. That doesn't happen without if they're running same-day qualifying. And it's going to hurt the brand. It's going to hurt the product. It's going to hurt the sponsor being happy with the huggy feelies that they like to have because they're spending 30 million bucks to put their name on the hood of a car. They're going to want the, they're going to want the perks by doing this. They're not going to be there. And that is something, again, I didn't even think about it. When we talked about earlier on earlier in the year on shows earlier in the year about this, I didn't even think about that as far as, well, what about if, you know, a driver, but we see it all the time. And we even seen it, Back in the 90s, I remember in the 80s even, where there were sponsorship appearances where Coors Bill, I remember my dad going to Bill Elliott's sponsorship appearances for Coors back in the 80s and on Sunday mornings before the race. And the majority of your fans, especially like Daytona 500 weekend, for example, uh, majority of your fans show up Sunday. Most of them are there on Saturday, but the majority, the big crowd always shows up Sunday. Um I can take Daytona, for example, because that's a personal uh, that's personal for me because I go there every year. But every week, I'm sure the majority of the fans show up Sunday. We see the Saturday crowds. It's not very good for the Xfinity races. Um, and yet, and to me, that is, you know, you want to fly your, your your people in on Saturday, get, get them in for a Sunday race. That's huge. And, again, it's something I think Roger Penske brings to light, and I think it's a very good point here, John. I think um, Roger Penske – doesn't say things unless he sees a problem brewing. And he's one of those ones who tries to fix a problem before it gets started. Businessman, he really is. I mean, you know, he's been successful, like you said, in the business world and in the racing world. Um, I'm really looking forward to this race at, at Phoenix this weekend. First sort of short track race of the year. Interesting to see how the how the strategy at, these race, at this race changes as far as a mile track is compared to a mile-and-a-half track that we've seen the last couple of weeks at Atlanta and Las Vegas. Um, John Harlow, you can follow him on stupidmedia.com. He's the co-host, does a great job every week, stupidmedia.com. They also have uh, a link to our shows. So if you like what you heard here and you want to go back and listen to other shows, click the Stalking in Circles link there. You'll go back and you can find any our archives uh, as well. Um Again, I'm really looking forward to this weekend, John, at, at Kimber Road 500 at Phoenix. I want to thank you for uh, helping helping me out again this weekend and being a great co-host. And uh, we'll see you guys here back next week recapping Phoenix and getting ready for Auto Club Speedway. Thank you for listening Talking in Circles tonight.